Peace of Christ be with you. As we gather and settle into this place, I invite you to give yourself the gift of three deep breaths so you can fully arrive here, so that you can open yourself to recognize the presence of the Spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. In Christ, we find the way to love, justice, and beloved community. We find ourselves in Christ. In Christ, we find the path to authenticity and grace. We find a relationship in Christ. In Christ, we find the road to meaning and purpose. We find our direction in Christ. The opening hymn is number 90. It comes from the Taizé tradition, where they uh, have, have a chorus that's repeated as a ground under some uh, verses that are sung by a cantor, uh, which I will take care of, if only I had brought my script. Uh. (laughs) Boy, I wish I could edit that out of the video. Uh, (laughs) uh, So we will sing the chorus two times at the outset, then I will sing selected verses from those that are printed in your uh, hymnal, and I'll invite you to join me in the refrain throughout it, and we'll sing the refrain twice at the end.
be seated. Welcome. Welcome to worship at Westminster. If you're new with us, a special welcome to you. We have our coffee and tea set up today in our Finley Hall since it's a little chilly outside, but I do invite you after worship just to go out the sanctuary doors and then to the left, a time of refreshment and especially a time of conversation. And then the other reminder is those of you sitting here in the middle aisle during the offering, if you'd take that pew register, sign it, pass it down the pew, pass it back. I invite you to greet each other by name after worship because those names will be right there in the register if you're new. If you want to offer some contact information, we can be in touch with you later in the week. So let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. God, in you we live and move and have our being. You are all around and deep within. We do not always recognize you, though. We have not practiced noticing you. We feel untethered and so we tether ourselves to others with the hope that only a God can fulfill. Forgive us for misplaced allegiances, 
worship of those who may or may not have our best interests in mind. Bind us to the Christ, your love and law made flesh, that we might know and embody your grace. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God is merciful and slow to anger. God seeks the lost and extends the invitation to us again and again. You'll hear the good news that in Christ we are forgiven, we are made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. And as we continue in our time of prayer, our time of joys and concerns, it's where we share what's on our hearts and minds with each other so we can be in prayer together. A couple of updates from the congregation. We pray for John Reynolds, who is a longtime former Westminster member, since moved to Oregon. He had a stroke earlier this week. Um, seems to be recovering well, but it will be a long recovery. So lots of physical therapy involved. So prayers for him. I sent him a message yesterday, said prayers for healing and prayers for patience. As it's going to be a long road, but, but the outlook looks good. But prayers for John and his wife, Jan. And then, Clark, it's good to see you with us. Indeed. Yes. So give us an update on how you're doing. Well, I got my pacemaker on Friday, and now I know it feels like you're born again. <laughs> <laughs> you really need to get one. <laughs> <laughs> don't hesitate. There you go. So in case you couldn't hear, Clark received a pacemaker just a couple of days ago and is feeling born again. So it's good to see you here smiling and full of vibrant energy. Others, other joys or concerns to share. Yeah, Amanda. Absolutely. So uh, Med offers pressure. Petey Stein and Jeffrey. Jeffrey had a hernia surgery, you said, a couple of days ago, still in the hospital. So prayers for his recovery and for Petey as she supports him. Others? Yeah, Elizabeth. Prayers for Stan Smith. His surgery on his neck is tomorrow. Elizabeth said he and Sandy have had a slew of visitors this week, so so good to know that they've been surrounded by supportive community and certainly will be in our prayers tomorrow. Deb. So Deb offers uh, prayers of thanksgiving for our Wednesday morning class. Uh, 
Thank you for the plug. If you haven't checked that out, you're welcome to. Um, uh, prayers for your second family. The dad uh, died recently, and it sounds like a gratitude that it was a, a, a nice transition for him. And then welcome a visitor with us. Glad to have you here. Others? Yeah, Carol. Yeah, Jane Drobot, who just recently had knee surgery, hasn't gone quite as hoped and is going to have another surgery soon. So prayers for Jane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Gil. Amen. Gil offers prayers for the community of Monterey Park. We awoke this morning to news of yet another mass shooting. Uh, one of our members at 8.30 prayed, and she just, she prayed so beautifully. All the variety of emotions that were going on in her body, I'm sure many of ours. So definitely, thank you for saying that, Gil. Else? All right, let's have just a few moments of quiet, and then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer together. So let us pray. Loving God, as we have gathered in worship today, we give thanks for your steadfast love. We give thanks for your desire to gather all your people into communities of love and justice and peace. With Christ as our guide, we seek to grow in your image, generous, compassionate, welcoming. And hear us now. O oh God, as together we pray the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Come gather round the mystery of love in our broken history, where grace heals the fault lines in me time and time again. It welcomes me into a, a house for the hungry, a well for the thirsty, where all saints come together, shoulder to shoulder, a welcome for the traveler, new wine for the vineyard, in all things God is able, love has a bigger table, 
told me who is my neighbor, the Christ hidden in the beggar. Cause love doesn't meet a stranger, love calls them friend and welcomes them in to Nice to see you all. Welcome, 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 welcome back. Yeah, watch that. You got an obstacle course if you come down that way. Yeah, that's good. All right, that's okay. You can sit here or you can stay there. Either one. It's it's totally fine. You're already almost through the children's bulletin, which is good because you're about out of time in here. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, today, the younger among you are going to, in sacred stories, hear a story about Jesus in the wilderness. And those of you who are a little bit older, you're going to learn about Jesus' baptism, which we talked about in here a little while ago. What we're going to... You're not the only one, I don't think. <laughs> um, but if you do, you'll finish the top of your class. And so then you don't have to worry. Um, in here, what we're going to talk about is something a little different, and I'll give you a taste since you won't be in here for it. What we're going to talk about is why it's so hard for people, not just young people, but older people, to get along and to come together and solve problems we need to solve. 
One of the things that made Jesus special was that he spent time with people that other people didn't want to, that other people had decided were bad and weren't worth any time or attention or love or care. And Jesus didn't always approve of what these people were doing. He didn't, by spending time with them, he wasn't saying, hey, they're doing great and they're making all the right choices. But he knew it was important to be with them. I wonder why he thought it was important to be with them. I wonder what he learned about them by being with them. I wonder what it is about being with those who are different or have done things to separate themselves. I wonder what it is about being with those folks that Jesus thought was important and important for us. Well, maybe the adults who came with can answer that a little bit for you after today. I'll say a prayer for you. Dear God, help us to learn about you today. Help us to learn about how to be loving toward others. Amen. All right, who's, who's in the, who are our teachers today? Sally. Got Sally, Randy, and Judy. So we will sing you out. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. The first reading today is Psalm 27, verses 4 through 9. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord that will that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in the Lord's temple. For he will hide me in the Lord's shelter in the day of trouble. She will conceal me under the cover of her tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in her tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says. Seek his face, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. This is holy wisdom, holy word. 
Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from 1 Corinthians. The first verse, or excuse me, the first chapter, verses 10 to 18. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Paul writes, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. And what I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. Apparently, Paul didn't have a racer. He's stream of consciousness writing here. <laughs> For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being, to, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Allegiance. It must be something in human nature that we would pledge ourselves over to certain figures with almost religious fervor. In fact, strike the, the almost with religious fervor. And sometimes you see the followers of any given figure become truer believers than the figures themselves, leading them to do all kinds of things. We've all seen this. I think we can all name someone in our society who in the last few years has amassed an incredible force, drew huge crowds, was outspoken about what he thought was wrong with the country, and all he did was win, win, win. Of course I'm talking about Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> It's not my first rodeo, folks. I'm not. I would like to make it out of here alive. I mean, the sports thing is not an, entirely a joke either. I was listening to a podcast uh, last week, and they were talking about um, professional soccer in Europe, football. And uh, if you go as a, to support a team as a visitor, so you go to another city to support your team, you have to enter many times through a separate entrance with a security detail surrounding you all because your physical safety is otherwise not guaranteed. It's that our identities are so wrapped up in our teams, our allegiances. This is real stuff. Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthians, 
about the corrosive potential of our allegiances even to good things around certain figures. He says to them, you're going around saying, I belong to Apollos. These are all Christian teachers. I belong to Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. Or I belong to Paul. He puts himself in the category and he says, no, you've lost the plot or you've lost the main character is a better way of saying it. Has Christ been divided? You don't belong to these. You belong to Christ. Notice he doesn't critique the teachings of any of those teachers. He may have had those critiques. He doesn't offer them here. What he's critiquing is the way in which people have chosen to follow these figures as if they were the one, confusing the teacher for the teachings, perhaps. I'm not breaking any news to you when I say to you in more seriousness than I opened that we live in divided times and in a divided land. That's pretty obvious, I think, to all of us. And that begs a certain kind of attention because I think it threatens our society on every level. Those divisions aren't just out there. They run right through our families, right through our communities, right through our relationships. They enter every space that we enter. And because of the threat they pose, they warrant our attention. And like anything that deserves our attention, we should engage this exploration with genuine curiosity. Not wanting to be right, but wanting to figure out what's going on and how we move into a better and more productive space. That's hard, but that's what's called for in this moment. To engage these spaces and in these places with real curiosity. Even appreciate what's before us, even if sometimes what's before us is quite distasteful. I mean, I think if we can take a step back, we can all appreciate on one level someone being so committed to what they stand for and what they believe in that they'd be willing to sacrifice things of significance, even relationships of significance. Now, we might come around to the belief that the relationship is more important than said commitment, but at least in a vacuum, we can appreciate that level of commitment. Don't we want our... Uh, our children to grow up with integrity and to take risks for their values so we can understand perhaps where this comes from. And I don't think difference per se is the problem. Difference in how we see the world, difference in how we see solutions to the common problems we face, even if we can't always agree on the nature of these problems. Difference is not the problem. Difference is not new. I think there's this notion that, oh, back then we all, wherever then, whenever then was, we all thought the same and agreed on things. I think that's more myth than history. And I think it's also more commentary on how small the circle was around the we at the time than it is about the actual matters at hand. Difference is not the problem. I think we can talk, uh, someone probably more informed than am I about modern communication channels and how they sow seeds of division and even worse, they sow seeds of misinformation which foster division and enmity. And we can talk 
going to be a little more qualified on this front to talk about the energy that we bring to our differences and our oppositions and our disagreements, where we seem committed to the annihilation of our neighbor or our enemies, those opposed to us. I think this is the territory that really warrants our investigation, and people have been investigating it for some time. I'm not doing anything new. People have been studying this phenomena of our enmity for some time. You may have read a while back the book The Righteous Mind. Someone told me at 8.30 they were reading it just this week. The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. See, our answer has been, let's just avoid them both which has gotten us nowhere. It's gotten us nowhere. We have to do better than that. In it, the author Jonathan Haidt, H-I-A-I-D-T, not hate, poorly chosen name for today, tries to get at why we're so diametrically opposed to one another and why it's so hard to shift the ground and get anywhere productive. He's a moral psychologist, and so he studies the way we build stories and understand the moral universe. He looks at uh, how we're committed to our own sense of righteousness, how we get so steadfast in our commitment to our own righteousness, how we bring different conceptual understandings to even common values. We might say we value the same thing, but when I say it and when someone else says it, we mean different things. And how we privilege our commitment to our particular groups above, at times, uh, better reasoned answers the problems at hand. So as a refresher, if you've read the book, it was written in 2013, so again, this is not necessarily new. Or as an introduction, if you've never read it, here are a few quotes that might get the wheels churning. He says, our moral thinking is much more like a politician searching for votes than a scientist searching for truth. In other words, we don't bring the kind of uninvested exploration to matters. We carry with it a whole uh, set of stories and assumptions that will steer us a certain way, and he's challenging us to let go of those things, or at least be aware of them and name them as we try to investigate something, like a good scientist without bias. He says, people bind themselves into political teams and share moral narratives. You know, we're storytelling people. Once they accept a particular narrative, they become blind to alternative moral worlds. The question this raises for me is, how do we remain committed to the values that are important to us and simultaneously open to new information or, or new stories we can tell? That strikes me as a spiritual discipline. Another question it raises for me is, how can we allow our stories to evolve? even our spiritual stories, maybe especially our spiritual stories, without losing the essence of them, without becoming untethered from the core and the root of where we come from. This strikes me as a spiritual practice. Finally, he says, if you think that moral reasoning is something we do to figure out the truth, you'll be constantly frustrated by how foolish and illogical people become when they disagree with you. Oof, yeah. 
But if you think about moral reasoning as a skill, we humans evolved to further our social agendas, to justify our own actions, and to defend the teams we belong to, then things will make a lot more sense. Whew, that leaves us with quite a challenge, doesn't it? Here's an observation that, that may help us move toward a better way. We bring a kind of holy passion to matters of public interest or common life together. And some suggest that maybe that kind of passion isn't so helpful because rather than uh, uh, getting into what could be a real contest of ideas, an earnest deliberation over competing philosophies or ideologies instead lays the groundwork for a holy war. And I think hyperbole is important to use here. It's the point, right? That's how we speak. Uh, Shadi Hamid, and all these names and citations are in your bulletin, so don't worry about trying to track them. Uh, Hamid is a professor of Islamic studies at Fuller Theological Seminary in Southern California. Fuller is an interdenominational evangelical seminary. Produces a lot of Presbyterians, by the way. Uh, Hamid wrote, uh, he's a professor of Islamic studies, if I didn't say that. In April of 2021, he wrote this uh, in a piece for the Atlantic titled, America Without God, in which he links the decline in religious adherence in this country with the rise of religious-like commitment to politics. This is what he says. As Christianity's hold in particular has weakened, ideological intensity and fragmentation have risen. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Political debates over what America is supposed to mean have taken on the character of theological disputations. That's not a compliment. That's my word. This is what religion without religion looks like, is what he's saying. Bruce Ashford, who's a senior fellow at Cambridge's Kirby Lang Center, which explores public theology, makes a similar assertion. Two months later, in an op-ed for the Carolina Journal, he writes, as, a, as religion has declined, political ideology has intensified. Society has fragmented and cultural common ground has disintegrated. As a result, politics is increasingly divisive and existentially fraught. Now, you can imagine where someone like Ashford, who's a religious adherent, might want this to go. Let's return to our religious roots a little bit and get that stuff out of our politics. On the one hand, he might have a point, as I think about it, because religion, in theory, has rituals in community and relationship to hold some of the difference together. On the other hand, if you study religion, you'll see how poorly we've done this. I mean, look... Look at the family tree of Christianity. Get wide paper, okay, because the branches are enormous. And church splits and divides are one thing. We can chuckle at those, but crusades and holy wars are quite another. So I think grasping for an, a bygone era of religiosity, easy for me to say, is not perhaps the answer we need. Faithfulness, perhaps but relig religiosity, I don't know, in part because I can't say it, apparently. 
I mean, remember, Paul was already talking about religious divisions within a generation of Jesus' death, right? So, hate, I think, H-A-I-D-T, not H-A-T-E, might have the answer. Or at least a piece of the answer. This is, again, the author of The Righteous Mind. He says this, focusing on effective leadership without focusing on a willingness to follow is like studying clapping by studying, studying only the left hand. I think that's totally brilliant. We have a, we have a leadership-obsessed culture. How many books on leadership are produced every year? How many graduate students spend all their time reading about leadership? We tell our children from the youngest of ages to be a leader. You're all leaders. That makes no sense. You can't all be leaders all the time. We will have a few opportunities to lead in our lives, and, and we ought to be ready to rise to the occasion, no doubt. But we will have millions of opportunities to be good followers. How many books will you find on Amazon about being a good follower? <laughs> How many corporate modules can you take on that? Following is an art. Uh, we, we only talk about when we fail and we come, become part of a cult. What's the biggest insult you can call someone in our culture? A follower, a sheep. Jesus calls us to be sheep. But a sheep that recognizes the voice of the master a follower that can recognize what a true leader is and what a corrupt leader is. Someone who has our, our best interests in mind and someone who is taking advantage of us for their own well-being. To be a Christian will mean leading at times, but at its core, it's about being a follower. Jesus' followers were called disciples. They were called students. Their vocation was to study the way of the Christ. And to interpret it, it is an act of interpretation in every moment. Not, what does it look for me to lead in this moment? What does it look like for me to follow in this moment? Paul warns from the beginning about placing your allegiance in other figures, even figures in the right cause. Presbyterian Book of Confessions in the study guide reads, Jesus Christ alone has the right to claim absolute and unqualified loyalty and obedience. Paul calls for unity, but it's not a hollow unity. It's not unity for unity's sake, conflict avoidance, let's not disagree. Paul's unity is a unity with the mind of Christ and in the way of Christ. Everything, everything flows from there, including our allegiances and our values and our commitments. And yes, our convictions should warrant sacrifice from us. Even Jesus asks us to risk relationships sometimes for our values, but they are to be values tested against the way of Christ, tested in community because sometimes as individuals we get it wrong. Community, one of the key values is critique. And critique starts at home. It's really easy and super fun to critique our neighbors. But the first task is to critique ourselves. And the, the task of the spiritual being is always to look at your own groups first. Get to the other ones later. So to that end, uh, another citation for you. Robin Myers, who wrote a wonderful book called Saving Jesus from the Church. How to Stop Worshiping Christ 
and start following Jesus. He says this. It's a, it's a great book about progressive Christianity, by the way, if you're looking for one. And I include that qualifier because he engages in critique of his own group as part of that study. He says, it's easier and much more satisfying to rail against the right than to suggest that we go back to Genesis 1 and study together. Liberals can be just as intolerant as fundamentalists, and we have arrived at a moment in human history when intolerance and hope are mutually exclusive. Intolerance and hope are mutually exclusive. Look, being in relationship does not mean you're approving of everything another stands for. Jesus is our model of that. It just recognizes that connected will accomplish more than disconnected. And if the church is really to be united in the mind of Christ, then it has to recognize that Jesus refused to do violence to his neighbors. And if we're committed to being his student, we have to accept the invitation to likewise refuse to do violence to our neighbors. Because the stakes are too high. Our existence depends on it, and I don't think that's hyperbole. Because unlike Steve Kerr and our beloved warriors, and today maybe even our beloved 49ers, on a planet with 8 billion people, our common life together is no game. Amen.
receiving. I want to encourage you to take a look at the announcements on the back of the bulletin. We've got a lot of neat stuff coming up, and you don't want to miss out. A couple things just to say out loud. First, we're required to announce out loud in advance our annual congregational meeting. That is next week at 11 a.m., so come to worship and just plan to stay for the congregational meeting. Lots of stuff happening, uh, voting on new church officers, voting on clergy salaries, taking a look at the budget that the session has approved, and then a time to just look ahead at what's, what's in store for Westminster this coming year. If you're interested in looking at the budget in advance, we have a few copies out in the narthex on the table. You're welcome to take one of those. Uh, we also have the budget sent into our webmaster, so it'll be on the website. Look under the members tab of the website. If you need the password, just get in touch with one of us for that. It's Moses 10. Um, can't say that too loud, because who knows who's watching. Um, and then also, we have a great event coming up in two weeks, uh, presented by our Westminster events team. Um, it's a woman, Natalia, who lives in Marin, but is from Ukraine, and she's gonna be here sort of, you know, talking about her experience with uh, you know, all the uh, violence and tragedy that's been going on in Ukraine. Um, it's gonna be open to the entire community, so you're welcome to come, absolutely. We're also looking for some volunteers since we're welcoming the community to help greet, to help, you know, offer hospitality and such. If you're interested in helping, Erin Elliott's right over there. She will get you all signed up, uh, so see Erin. Um, all right, with that, I invite you, uh, standing or sitting, to join in our closing hymn. We're going to start with a little bit of a chant as an intro. Uh, the chant's printed in your bulletin, but you don't need it. Hallelujah, it's a celebration. Jesus Christ is our foundation. We'll sing that through a few times, and then we'll get to the hymn, okay? Here we go. Hallelujah, it's a celebration. Jesus Christ is our foundation. Try it. Hallelujah, it's a celebration. Jesus Christ is our foundation. Again, hallelujah, it's a celebration. Jesus Christ is our foundation. All right, here we go. The church is one foundation. Jesus Christ
So friends, as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, not your Lord, not my Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, of us all, of us all, in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen. <laughs>